Good evening, church. What a great and beautiful and blessed day we've had. Every day I, I see, or every time, I, whether I'm here or anywhere else, and, uh, or here, Emily, here, here, no, just kidding, here or anywhere else in the whole wide world, and I see a day like this, you know what I say? Wait till you get to heaven. <laughs> you think today's great? Wait till you get there. God is great. Let's go to God in prayer. Welcome each one of you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your greatness and for your love. Thank you for your kindness and for your compassion. Thank you for blessing us as only, as only you can, and for helping us and bringing us here tonight to worship you. Please bless our worship to be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Help us never to forget Jesus, your great son, and whom you so willingly sent to die on that cruel, cruel cross of Calvary that we might live. In Jesus' holy name we pray and thank thee for be thy will. Amen. Um, we're going to look tonight at the thought of disputes. Uh, disputes happen uh, all the time, right? Whether we're in the body or out of the body of Christ. And Christians are humans too. And so we have struggles. God has given us guidelines on how to uh, handle disputes. But think about some of the great leaders in the Bible, right? They had disputes amongst themselves, amongst the children of Israel, amongst the people of God. We're not exempt, right? Let's go back to the book of Numbers, chapter 20. Think about sometimes in disputes that we might echo words that you, know, you wish you could take back. Right? You say things, you ah, or find ourselves doing something in the, the moment, right, that you wish you could take back. I'm thinking about Moses now, thinking about a conflict with God's people that was... It, it took him to that limit, right, where his limit, where he's been wrestling with them and wrestling with them and wrestling with them. And finally, in Numbers 20 and verse 8, listen to what happened. God says, take the rod and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation and speak to the rock before their eyes, that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock. Let the congregation and the beast drink. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord, just as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock. And he said to them, Listen now, you rebels. Shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? And then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came forth abundantly in the congregation, and their beasts drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. So first of all, God kept his promise. Right? Regardless of Moses and Aaron, regardless of their blunder, regardless of their attitude, God kept his promise. But Moses, it's just out of character for Moses when he says, You rebels! Shall we bring forth water? I mean, he was upset, right? Irritated. And, and he had a problem with the people of God. But remember what God said in Numbers chapter 12 about Moses. Moses, the Bible says. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Yet Moses had a dispute. 
And Moses struck that rock and treated God in a way that was irreverent and was punished for it. No one's perfect, right? No one's perfect. First Corinthians chapter 11, please. We've we got to remember that there are going to be conflicts amongst us in our lives. We have to learn, certainly, to maintain self-control. Maybe a good idea is to, as, as God's people, to learn how to walk away. You know, come back and deal with it later, right? Got to deal with it. We have to resolve the issue, but, but maybe we have to learn sometimes how to walk away, you know, collect ourselves, and then come back and deal with it a little bit later, right? So Numbers, I mean, excuse me, First Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 19. The Bible says, For there must also be factions among you, in order that those who are approved may become evident among you. So there's something about faction also that's a good teacher, right? To let you know kind of who's going to be there and who isn't. To kind of get to know really what's in the hearts and minds of people. And so factions are inevitable. Stumbling blocks are inevitable. Sometimes faction is a good teacher. First Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 11. The early church struggled. The church itself struggled. And in verse 11, the Bible says, For to be informed concerning you, my brethren, that, uh, by Cleo's people, that there are quarrels among you. So when the church is having a faction, you know, amongst itself and having uh, disputes amongst themselves, we've got to learn how to stop, right? Pause, step away, you know, pray, think about God. Put God first, and then come back when we're in a good mind to deal with our issues. But never leave the issues unresolved. That's really important. I want to look at Nehemiah and how he dealt with some issues uh, amongst God's people. Nehemiah chapter 5. So never leave the problems unresolved. Be sure to handle the conflict or the problem. Remember to work things out. Now, this is a very trying time for God's people because these were God's people mistreating or violating God's law, mistreating each other. The rich and the poor or those who were a little more affluent, maybe not necessarily rich, but they were doing much better and those who were struggling. So look at how Nehemiah, let's take a look at how he dealt with this problem. Beginning in verse 1. And there was a great outcry of the people and of their wives against the Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, We, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. So you realize now we're dealing with a, a time of a famine, a time of, uh, of difficulty to, to find food, right? So much so to where uh, people are obviously starving, right, in this text. And there were others, verse 3, who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses that we may get grain because of the famine. And so uh, they're having to sell their property. Kind of reminds you of Egypt, right? I mean, it's a big problem. And you would say, okay, well, you know, life happens and that's what the world does, right? No, these are, these are God's people struggling and others of God's people are causing part of the struggle. Verse 4. Also, there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and on our vineyards. And now our flesh is like the flesh of our brothers, our children like their children. 
Yet behold, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters are forced into bondage already. And we are helpless because our fields and vineyards belong to others. To the government, right? No, not quite. To brethren. To brethren. Nehemiah comes along and Nehemiah realizes there's a huge problem that has to be dealt with. And so in verse 6, then I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words, and I consulted with myself and contended with the nobles and the rulers and said to them, you are exacting usury, each from his brother, therefore I held a great assembly against them. All right. The first thing Nehemiah had to do, because he was very angry, right? The Bible tells us that. He was very angry at the situation. But he had to collect himself, right? The brethren were being humbled or in a, in a humble uh, situation, if you will. Uh, honor was not being uh, uh, forthright, if you will. Doing what was right was have, at this time had been set aside. Nehemiah had to step away from the problem to control his emotions. And in the beginning of verse 7, he says, kind of a weird verse. It says, I consulted with myself. Right? Sometimes you got to do that. Sometimes you got to step away and say, okay, let's think about this. Don't you? you know, and have your own meeting, right? Uh, you're meeting with God, a meeting amongst yourself to collect your thoughts and think about what it is you're about to do or what you're about to say. And then secondly, get all the facts together. Right? Collect all the facts. Think about what's going on. Think about the situation. Think about the struggles, if you will, of the brethren. So, again, in verse 7, And I consulted with myself and contended with the nobles and the rulers and said to them, You are exacting usury, each from his brother. Therefore I held a great assembly against them. And I said to them, We are according to our ability. We, according to our ability, have redeemed our Jewish brothers who were sold to the nations. Now would you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us? Then they were silent and could not find a word to say. Again I said, the things which you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations and our enemies? He accuses them of practicing ungodliness they were putting a heavy heavy burden on the brothers and the first thing he does is he appeals to their hearts is this right are, are we really doing the right thing these are our brothers he appeals to their hearts as you think about the text they were violating the law of God but he first appeals to their hearts. After he appeals to their hearts, and he says, wait, are you doing the right thing? Then he starts to tell them, explain to them what that violation is, because they should already know, all right? Sometimes we know there are some things that are going on, uh, maybe in the, the body of Christ. That you know when you're doing right, and we know when we're doing wrong. So we appeal to the heart, and we bring the scriptures in. Listen to verse 10. And likewise, I, <clears throat> my brothers, and my servants are lending them money and grain. Please let us leave off this usury. The word usury. Old Testament word 
for tax. And he uses the exact word that God uses in the law about how you're to treat your poor brother or brothers in general. Verse 11. Please give back to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses. Also, the hundred part of the money and of the grain, the new wine, and the oil that you are exacting from them. So notice what he says. Please do this. Again, he's appealing to their hearts. Give this back to them and stop charging taxes to your brethren. In verse 12, then they said, we will give it back and we will require nothing from them. We will do exactly as you say. So I called the priest and took an oath from them that they would do according to this promise. Why should they listen to Nehemiah? Why should they listen to what was spoken by him? Because Nehemiah, though appealing to their heart, is in a very kind way reminding them of the law. Let's go back and grab the law in the book of uh, Exodus chapter 22. What does the Bible say? Now listen, we could do it one of two ways. We could come to someone and we could say, look, uh, you know, you're living in sin. Here's what the Bible says. Well, they're probably not going to listen to you. Instead, we've got to learn how to appeal to their hearts. We've got to learn how to communicate with people to gain, um, if you will, the desire that God wants to, desire, to gain from them. And that is their obedience, right? So he says, please give back all their et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The law says in Exodus 22 and verse 25, if you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, you are not to act as a creditor to him. You shall not charge him interest. So you can't charge interest to your brothers. It's one thing. You don't try to make uh, Leviticus chapter 25. You don't try to make money off of your brother. But instead, you, if you're going to loan money to them, then you collect back the money that you have loaned to them. And then in Leviticus chapter 25, beginning at verse 35, now in the case uh, a countryman of yours becomes poor and his means with regard to your falter, then you are to, sultan, to, excuse me, to sustain him like a stranger or like a sojourner that he may live with you. Let me read that verse again. Now, in case a countryman of yours becomes poor and his means with regard to you falter, then you are to sustain him like a stranger or a sojourner that he may live with you. Do not take usurious interest from him, but reveal your God that your countrymen may live with you. So the idea is when you're serving God is that God will repay, right? God will take care of you. Don't try to make a bunch of money off of your brethren when they come to you in poverty asking for help. In verse 39, it goes on to say, and if your countrymen or if a countryman of yours becomes so poor with regard to you that he sells himself to you, you shall not subject him to a slave's service. He shall be with you as a hired man, as if he were a sojourner. He shall serve you until the year of Jubilee, the year of release, right? So Nehemiah appeals to the heart and says, look, we, we've got to go to the scriptures. We've got to figure out how to work this out. So remember in all things that we do, that when you're talking about dealing with conflict, Remember compassion and mercy, right? 
Remember compassion and mercy. Remember to, to be compassionate. And remember to be merciful. Turn to Galatians, please, chapter, chapter 2. In Galatians chapter 2, there was another conflict. Now here was a, a pretty big one. Here, uh, Paul was given the right hand of fellowship, Paul and Barnabas, and they go off to the Gentiles, and um, uh, Peter, if you will, was, a, was a, an apostle to the Jews. Integrity. We must always maintain our integrity. Right? Integrity in leaders is critical. It is very important, and we have to learn how to work things out in a, in a positive way, bringing glory and honor to God. Well, what happened? Well, let's read the text in Galatians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by, thy, by their hypocrisy. And so realize that, uh, you know, as a leader, you're not just leading yourself. You could, you could destroy a whole congregation, right? Be very, very cautious, church, of what we do and how we live. So here Peter is found to be living a hypocritical life, and Paul calls it or brings it to his attention. And remember, Paul and Barnabas had an issue in Acts 15, and, and they're arguing about John Mark and whether he should go or not. And there was a very strong contention between the two of them. How do you deal with this? Right? So here's a situation where, where Paul opposes Peter to his face. In verse 14, But when I saw that there were, he was not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, If you being a Jew... Live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews. How is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? Now, this is one time where you might say as public the sin, as public the, the confession, or as public the sin, as public the confrontation, whatever it might be. Notice that Paul did not, in this particular case, pull Peter aside, but rather rebuked him in the presence of all. Because, number one, they were all a part of it. And number two, they all needed to listen to the fact that they were not living their lives according to God's will of being hypocrites. And Paul goes on to say, we are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through the faith in Christ Jesus, even we who have believed in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. So now, to the scriptures. You always have to go to the scriptures. What does the Bible say? What does the, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? What does... The Bible says, see, sometimes we get into conflicts not because of a, a problem with the Bible, but a problem with each other. Right? What does the scripture say? Well, that scripture might checkmate me as well. I might be the one who has a problem with someone else for whatever reason, but then I'm violating the scriptures, right? So what does the Bible say? Let's make sure that everything we do and everything we say is aligned with Jesus. We've got to work it out, though, right? If there's ever conflict amongst us, let's turn to 1 Peter, please. 2 Peter, excuse me, chapter 3. We have to work 
it out. Now, even though Paul calls Peter a hypocrite, if you will, and, and calls him out in his living, we never had a chance to listen to Peter's response. But we know they worked it out. Listen to what Peter says about our beloved brother. 2 Peter 3 and verse 15. In regards to the patience of our Lord to be salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, and it goes on to speak. Our beloved brother, they work things out. Listen, if someone comes to you in love, and they're trying to help you, what should we do? We should listen, right? If they're coming and they're trying to help you, if our lives aren't right, if our lives are, are, are contrary to the will of God, and they come in love, we should listen. And we should try to work this out, whatever it might be. Turn to Acts chapter 6, please. And it's not always that easy. It's, a lot of times when we're dealing with conflict, there's a, it's a big struggle, and, and I get it. And, and the problem is hearts are, are um, sometimes turned away, and, and people leave the, the argument in a tremendous amount of anger and pain and frustration. But we just got to keep things in perspective, right? Acts 6 and verse 1. Another conflict. Now this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because the widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. And the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. What they didn't say was, this is not important. We don't care. You guys figure it out on your own. They said, look, there are ways to deal with this. Let's get some men who are able, spiritual men, spirit-filled men, to deal with this situation, and we'll continue to keep our priorities straight. The apostle said, we're supposed to preach the word of God and spend time in prayer. And you folks deal with these issues that are at hand. They didn't just neglect. It's really important that no one walks away from the table feeling neglected, right? as if the church doesn't care. We'll deal with the issue, but let's find a way of dealing with it in a way that brings glory and honor to God in all that we say and in all that we do. And never forget God's plan and God's way of resolving all the issues in life. I love 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. This scripture alone would help us in so many ways if we mind this one. Uh, it says... And make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you. Just to, you ever, your mama used to say that, mind your business, right? got to learn how to do that, right? We got to learn how to mind our own business, right? And, 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 and focus our minds. We're going to close in Matthew 18 because we're not going to have enough time to deal with um, other things that we need to deal with. But Matthew 18. To mind our own business, just kind of, you know, live for Jesus and do all that you can to help everybody else the best that you possibly can. And remember that everything isn't always my business. Right? Matthew 18 and verse 15. The Bible says, if your brother sins, go and approve him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. That's pretty simple, isn't it? 
That takes away all the whispering, all the contention, right? Just go to your brother. Let's go talk to him privately. Remember the scriptures. You know, think to yourself, step away for a moment, control your emotions, step away from the problem, uh, find a humble and kind way to say it, uh, whatever it is you're trying to say. Make sure you're right first. Galatians 6, verse 1 and verse 2, first look to yourself so you yourself are not tempted when you find someone. So you, you look to that, and then you go out with the scriptures to help folks out. You don't go out and say, here's what the Bible says, and you're wrong. You don't go out and do that. It's not the way to win people, is it? If it doesn't work, when you go, you go get witnesses, right? Matthew 18 and verse 16. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. Notice the word fact is in there, right? Not what I think, not what I feel. <laughs> it's a fact. You've got to have the facts, Right? If you don't have the facts, you need to step away. Say, Whoa, wait, that's not exactly how that happened. Get the facts straight. So Nehemiah stepped away, thought to himself, and got the facts straight, right? Get your facts straight first. And then, if the witnesses coming with you with all the facts, if that doesn't work and resolve the problem, verse 17, if you refuse to listen to them, then tell it to the church. And if you refuse to listen even to the church, let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. I want you to remember that when we're looking at Matthew 18, it's easy to read Matthew 18 and say, this is how we're going to deal with the problems and then not continue to read. Let's close tonight continuing to read. And by the way, this is not going to be on the slide. It's in verse 21. Then Peter said to him, you could quote this, I know it. Um, Lord, how many times has my brother sinned against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. That's a good number. And Peter knew in this conversation that, boy, Jesus is going to respond well to this one, right? Seven times, that's a very good number in the world of numerology. That's a good number. And Jesus said, well, a little more to it than that. I do not say unto you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. That's a lot of forgiveness, isn't it? I think that's the starting point, isn't it? The starting point is to find the forgiveness in our hearts. You see? So when we deal with the dispute, there's so many things we can think about, what the scriptures say, etc. But then I've got to remember also, I wonder how merciful and forgiving I am in my walk of faith with my spouse, with my friends, with whomever it may be. Forgiveness is so important. Tonight, we ask God to forgive us. And we're asking God to forgive us. Lord, help us to be what you would have us to be. We want to be forgiven. Tonight, if you have things in your life that you would like to be forgiven of, and maybe you need to make something right with someone, so as soon as we leave this building, pick the phone up, call them, talk to them, whatever you have to do to make it right. If it's something that's public, then make it right. If it's if there's someone that's not a child of God, then make it right. And you do that by surrendering to God in the waters of baptism. And that opportunity is available to you tonight. If we can help in any way, please come while together we stand and sing our song of invitation. Bless me, the time.